As the world is writing a new story of global kinship, Postmodern Missionary dives into what it means to be a missionary pushing against the heritage of colonialism. Join Reverend Katie Meek as she explores life and faith in Sierra Leone. Hello, friends. I am currently sitting in the principal's house at the Hartford School for Girls School in Moyamba. I almost said Moyamba, Texas. That's not right. In Moyamba, Sierra Leone. Uh, I am in the middle of a intensive course teaching English and Wesleyan traditions, which is essentially Wesleyan history and theology. But I wanted to take a moment and introduce this next conversation to you. This is my friend, Laura Kirkhoff. She is an outstanding human being and just the funnest. She's probably one of my best friends in Sierra Leone, and I think that you will really enjoy her conversation. Okay, hello and and welcome to my friend Laura Kirkhoff. Um, I said that right, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Every once in a while I get real nervous. Laura is a Welsh woman. I'm going to say that in Creole. Welsh woman. (laughs) Um, Who, as it turns out, is actually one of my excellent, wonderful, good, best friends. So welcome to the podcast, Laura. Thank you. You're welcome. Nice to be here. Mm-hmm. Thanks for asking me. Mm-hmm. I feel a little bit apprehensive because I've never been asked to do this before, but I'm going to give it a shot and uh, see what see what I can do for you today. Yeah, you're an excellent company. I think what I find often, um, and maybe it's just the kind of people that I ask to be on the podcast, or maybe it's just the kind of people who do this sort of work, they have a tendency to not really want attention. So um, you're just nodding. <laughs> yeah, I can identify with that for sure. Uh, so, so I think that you're in very good company. Okay. You're, not the only, you're not the first one to be a little nervous about okay, that. Okay, great. Okay, so tell us who you are. Tell us a little bit about your life before you came here. So I was uh, born and brought up in Swansea, um, a small seaside town in South Wales. Um, I did my studying a little bit later than a lot of other people around me. So I ended up graduating as a teacher when I was 26. So then I moved to the southeast of England um, and I was a primary school teacher there for 15 years. Um, Settled there very well actually, had a two bed flat, um, great circle of friends and and just did my my job. I had four different jobs in four different schools, all within primary school teaching. Um, and, And I built my life there in the southeast really. I used to do the same sort of things that most people like to do, reading, go out and see live music, hanging out with your friends, cooking, shopping, um, the odd holiday, nothing really earth shattering. yeah. So yeah, that was me before I before I hit free time. Yeah, you're kind of my music friend. Anytime, anytime <laughs> I'm like, I, I need I need somebody who has some good taste about music. It's yeah, you. yeah, I've I definitely can... got good taste in music. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so now you're in Freetown and you've been here about a year, right? How did that happen? So in the latest school I was working in, um, I have some colleagues there who go to a local church and part of what they do as a group is support um, an ex-church member that used to go to the same church as them. Um, This was a a man who was born in Freetown, grew up in Freetown, but then came to the UK and lived and studied in the UK for 23 years. 
he decided to go back to Freetown and give something back. So my colleagues and her friends from the church would do outreach visits to support him. They'd go to Sierra Leone. They'd help with building projects and resourcing various schools. Um, and I was asked to go on a visit in April 2017. Um, it's all happened so quickly. Yeah. So in April 2017 is <laughs> not that long ago. I honey. know, it's not that long ago. So in April 2017, I was part of a group of 15 of us um, who came out to Freetown just for one week. And we came and met some teachers in some different schools. We met some children at the schools. We went down to the Freetown Cheshire Home, which is a school for children with disabilities and a residential home as well. Um, so and that you was came my like as an educator, like in your capacity as an educator. Yes, I was asked to go because I was a teacher. Um, part of the mission, I guess, for the church group was to support their friend, um, keep him motivated, um, look at where they might need to put funding, be an encouragement. Um, and they wanted to start building relationships between the teachers in Freetown and some teachers in the UK. So it was a really good. Uh, it was a really good way to build some bridges and get some relationships going. Yeah. And you're not a member of this church. You no. just kind of like hooked on. Yeah, I think um, myself and one other young colleague, um, we were the only two people actually who weren't a member of this church um, and in fact are not religious in any way. Um, but like I said, we were asked to go uh, because we were experienced teachers. Yeah. Um, okay, so you came for a mm. short visit in April, like a year ago, April. Yeah. And then what happened? Um, well, that was my first experience, actually, of Africa. Um, and I know it sounds like a cliche, but it genuinely was one of those visits that really opens your eyes to um, how other people live, how other people work, um, cultural differences and cultural similarities. Um, and the thing that struck me most deeply, really, was the need for good educators uh, and the need for consistent educators and um, quality curriculum. Um, you know, we were observing some lessons and the teachers were working as hard as they could, I think, with the training they've had. But my biggest takeaway was that I, I could, and in fact, any good Western teacher could really have an impact on children in Freetown and in Sierra Leone. Um, I'd actually been teaching for 15 years um, and had largely become quite jaded, actually, with the UK system, getting bogged down in paperwork and bureaucracy. And the end result of the child's success seemed to be getting further and further and further away. Hmm. Um, but the, the thing that struck me in Freetown was how much impact a good teacher could have. Right, because it's almost like the opposite uh, challenge here. Like in the West, there's too much bureaucracy. And yeah. it seems like here there's not quite enough organization. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. I think um, tracking the progress of students um, and personalizing learning and differentiating learning to meet the needs of the students doesn't really happen here. And that's one of the biggest gaps. Um, 
And I, I sort of understood as an abstract concept that in some countries, if you don't finish the year or if you don't pass your exams, then you don't go up to the next year. But I really saw that in action here. And you might have a, a year four class and you've got children in there from eight to 11 years old. So, wow. so the fact that they're kept back right. really, really sort of hinders their progress and has an impact on their self-esteem, I think, as well. Yeah. Self-esteem is becoming like a really big deal for me but we're not going to talk about that yet because I feel like you I mean part of your story is that you you really took like a like a significant leap and it was kind of a quick one right so like April you came and you were like these people really need like uh, some supports good teachers yeah as as a group we had talked about um, different ways that we might be able to help once we were back in the UK we were talking about doing assemblies and theme days to sort of raise awareness um, do sensitization within our within our own settings in the UK and Um, this whole time like you don't have any inkling that you're gonna make it to no not really I mean there's always a part of me that's maybe wanted to travel a little bit or go abroad or do something um and I probably, at that time, I probably thought to myself, well, if I have an opportunity next year in my Easter holidays, or mm. um, if I can arrange a week out of school, then maybe I could go over uh, and do some training or some more interaction um, in some way. But sort of immediately after the trip, I didn't have any plans to go over. Mm-hmm. So. so your plan was to maybe help from afar? Yeah. And, and then, like, literally four months later, you you live here. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I said before, I had become quite jaded with teaching in the UK, so much so that I had a plan to move back to my hometown. So in the school where I was working, I had already handed in my notice. I had sold my flat. So I was living with a friend. Um, but of course, the academic year doesn't finish until the end of July. So I was staying with her, seeing out my job before I moved back to Swansea. Um, and then late June, in fact, I was asked to go around to my colleague's house for lunch. It was the colleague who had originally invited me to go on the trip in the first place. Mm. Um, and she started talking about the Freetown Cheshire home and talking about putting support in there and talking about her helping from afar. And it wasn't very clear to me at first because she wasn't really speaking in full sentences. And <laughs> and then the penny dropped and my, my fork paused halfway to my mouth. And I looked at her and I said, oh my God, you're talking about me going, aren't you? And she said, yes, I am. So you think she was like nervous to ask? I, I don't know. Um, I think she was excited. Um, but she said, you know, she asked me, would I go over? Would I be the head teacher? Which uh, in, in America is the principal. Yeah, in the principal. Yeah. So I was asked if I would go over and be the principal of the Freetown Cheshire Primary School, working for uh, Dr. Dumboya, who was the person that we were out there supporting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and could I go soon, please? <laughs> 
<laughs> wow. So yeah, it, it, it was a bit strange. I, I remember sitting there um, and I was saying things like, wow, I'm honored. That's a, that's a great thing to be asked. Thank you. Well, it's a big thing. I'll have to do a lot of thinking and all these yeah. sort of words are coming out of my mouth. Um, and in, inside I was saying, okay, I'll do it. Really? I had, I had no real ties, no, nothing to keep me in the UK. Um, right. And I thought, well, Laura, you've just spent a week there. You've just made all this noise about how much you want to help. And there's an opportunity being dumped on your lap, essentially. Yeah. So, you know, if you don't go for it, then... You ought to be ashamed of yourself, really. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, so, I mean, it's yeah. almost like everything in your life was kind of opening you up for this particular thing that you didn't even know you were preparing for. Exactly, exactly. The timing was all, was all perfect. So, so that's how it all came about. And 10 weeks later, I landed in Freetown. Ooh. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And then you stayed on the east side. Um, of yeah. Freetown as well, yeah. which is where the Cheshire home is. Yeah, that's right. There, there are not that many expats on the east side. No, um, I was one of three white people, actually, <laughs> um, or expats, if you like, living on the east side. Um, there was one young guy, um, an American guy, who's a journalist, um, and another lady uh, in her 50s, actually, who drops in and out, but she runs a sponsorship program that keeps Freetown teenagers in school. Um, so there were three of us there. Wow. Yeah. And you stayed like in a hotel for the first six months? Yeah. So I stayed in a hotel. Um, it is less luxurious than it sounds. <laughs> um, you know, the power would come on at seven and go off at seven. Um, PM? Come on at 7 p.m. Come on at 7 p.m. and go off at 7 a.m. Yeah. So you had power in the evening. Right. Um, the staff there were lovely. Uh, everyone was so, so friendly. And in fact, they really sort of helped me settle in. Mm -hmm. um, and the hotel was uh, close to the school. So it was a very short commute because I was taking the public transport uh, into work at that time as well because I didn't have my own vehicle. And so. you had to just figure that out on your own. Yeah, essentially, I, like. I did. I, I'd ask people's advice and they'd say, oh, you should pay this much. Tell them that you're going here. Um, and I, I just kind of figured it out. I'd ask people. Um, one of the biggest impressions that Freetown has left on me is um, how kind people are to strangers and yeah. how proud they are yeah. of that fact. Well, so oh yeah. I never felt personally at risk at any time. Yeah. Um, I just asked for directions and I just get help to every corner. So, so I worked it out and, and I got along. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, my, my agency tends to be a little positively overprotective of me. They're big on making sure that I have a, that I have a good time and, and never, not just, I mean, have a, have a meaningful time and never actually, um, nothing, like never get money stolen or never get taken mm -hmm. advantage of or whatever. So they're very, they're like, don't, don't ride in the taxis and don't do uh, this and don't do that. So you had like almost the opposite experiences. Sure. Me. Like you just jumped right in. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, 
And, you know, I would, I mean, people say, oh, you jumped right in, but I would sort of take it at my own pace. You know, it took me maybe a week and a half or so um, before I'd venture out in the early evening, partly because I was so shattered. I'd come home and just uh, a, a day of work in the heat and I'd uh, usually fall asleep. But and Shattered um, means exhausted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For the Americans. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I hope it's not only Americans listening to this one. <laughs> but, you know, I just took it at my own pace. I'd just go for a quiet walk around the neighborhood and then I'd go a bit further and I'd pop into um, a little shack to get some food um, and just gradually sort of get my face known and try and remember people's names, um, ask them questions. And they were all super, super curious about what I was doing here. Um, everybody wants to be my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And Every- you're you're very tall as well. Like yeah. so so you you're like this tall redheaded lady. You yeah. you definitely stand out. I mean, I can kind of blend in as yeah. as a part of the Lebanese community, but you definitely do not. No, very tall. Um now very blonde, um very pale skin, <laughs> um visible tattoos. Um so yeah, there's there's no blending in here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but you know, like I say, people are friendly and people are really curious. Yeah, I um, imagine it really actually helps you to break yeah. the ice. Yeah, it really does. It really does. Yeah, that's yeah. wonderful. So, were you like, did you consider yourself like an adventurer, someone who was gonna like to, who would just do big things like this before? Um, no, I'd always, um, I'd always wanted to go and travel, or I'd always look at different destinations and think oh, I'd like to go there I'd like to go on a holiday um, but the f- in fact the first time I'd ever traveled on my own was at the end of May um, at the end of May 2017 um, I did a, a four-day city break in Prague um, mm-hmm. which is exactly like Freetown <laughs> <laughs> It's just exactly the same. So yeah, I I kind of I kind of went from um, never having been to Africa to four days away on my own, which I really loved actually, um, and then landing in Freetown um, by yourself to be the head teacher, like yeah. not to be kind of in charge, yeah, um, and yeah. supervising Sierra Leoneans and yeah. coming into a uh, um, a, a school for disabled. Not, it's not just disabled children right so there's a residential uh, home on the same compound and then the school has a mixed population it serves a very very poor community um, and obviously they do have the disabled residents attending the school but because they are known as a school which has disabled pupils there then other parents within the community and from quite far away actually um, do send their schools uh, their pupils there, their Mm -hmm. children there, um, Mm -hmm. in the hope eventually that they will become part of the residential program there as well. So a mixed population, um, all local teachers, as you said. Mm so yeah, I guess I guess it was kind of a big leap. Um, <laughs> when you lay it all out like that, you know, you think, oh, that's uh, quite a big thing to do. Right. I'm um, like but it does. So I met you. When did we meet? December, November. I th- okay. So this is how we met. I remember. 
I was super sad and lonely <laughs> about two weeks in. After, no, maybe three weeks, something like that. Um, and I thought I have to make some, I have to reach out and see about making some friends who might kind of understand my cultural um, background. And so I put something on Facebook about the Enneagram. That's right. Yeah, and Freetowners yeah. advice. And you and you said, well, I don't know anything about that, and but maybe I'm interested. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you left town. You because you had okay. This is the thing that I just find fantastic. I just think it's fantastic about you. You traveled four days by yourself before, then you moved to Sierra Leone like a couple of months later. Yeah, and then you went to another African country over your Christmas break. Oh, yeah, by yourself for four weeks. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I did. I mean, part of part of the reason, or one of the reasons for saying yes, was because I thought it would be an opportunity to travel and see part of Africa while I was here. So Mm -hmm. I decided that for my three-week Christmas holiday, I would go backpacking in Ghana, and I managed to extend that for four weeks. So I was there for four weeks in total, and I had a great time. And yeah, it was the first time I'd ever done the whole backpacking thing as well. <laughs> Where's all that coming from? I, like, I don't know. I think I've probably been really, really well behaved all my life. Um, <laughs> and your version I'm, of not well behaved is I'm a great, I'm a great rule follower. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I just watched all these people do all these things, and I'd wanted to try stuff out. And I think as I've got older, um, I've worried less about the consequences of things, and yeah. I've just thought, well, just do it. You know, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. I remember when I told people that I was first going out to Freetown and what I was going to do um, a lot of them said that they thought I was very brave and I was taking a huge chance but you know my response was I don't think it is that brave because it's worth trying something out and if I don't like it I can just pack up my suitcases and get on a flight and come home right and I think as I get older, that's what I'm realizing. There's always a solution to any problem that comes up. And it's worth giving something a try. Even if it doesn't work out, at least yeah. you've tried it. Yeah. So. Well, I, I, yeah. I mean, I probably should say this at the end of the podcast, but it is something that, um, that, I've, that I find just super inspiring about you is that mm. um, it is like really and truly every once in a while, I'm like, I'm too afraid to do that. So let's ask Laura to. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Can you give me an example? Example of something that you're too afraid to do. Uh, okay, so I still have not written an Okada. Oh, okay. For example, and and okay. you you really were like Okada is a, is a motorcycle, and yeah. they are unsafe. Like so, Dad and Sessie, but they're fun who are too. listening to <laughs> to this podcast. I need you to know that I've not written one, but uh-huh. uh, at the same time, every once in a while, it's helpful to be able to take public transport or yeah. whatever. And so, um, like really and truly, I think that when I do it, I'm just going to be like, we're yeah. Laura, you have to come and show me how yeah. to do this. Right? I think I think we'll have to ban your car or your truck for a weekend. And, right. and my car, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It, it, I am very, very independent. So I do like having my own car now. But I was six or seven months, eight months without my own car. And you just learn to get on with it. Um, right. But we'll do that. We'll ban the vehicles for a weekend and we'll just use the public transport. Okay, sounds good. And yeah. I will be very careful to my parents who are listening. You'll make lots of new friends. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be fun. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so I just, um, that's. I, it does seem to me like in some ways you're just embracing the new okay, let's try it thing. Definitely. And I feel like in many ways it's paid off for you. 
yeah, from what I've seen. It has. I have had an amazing time. Um, I've learned things about myself that I didn't know. Um, I've, I've learned that I'm probably a lot more resilient than I thought I was. And actually a lot more confident than I, than I always thought I was. Yeah, um, because you exude confidence to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, there's a there's an expression. You fake it until you make it, don't right. you? <laughs> I mean, it feels like you've arrived. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> fine. I'm here. I'm here. Um, so yeah, it's taught me a lot of things. It's taught me how to be patient. It's um, it's definitely the kind of place um, where you have to be a little bit laid back about the small stuff. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. So and and that is kind of me anyway. So I think that just helped me get on with things. Mm-hmm. So. about your experience um, at the Cheshire home um, what kind of situation like, can you give us like more details about um, what kind of life the kids at the um, who live there have okay. and where they come from so the Cheshire home is the residential home and it's for children with disabilities um, who don't have parents or somebody to care for them. So some of them are orphans. Um, some of them do have family, but the family feel that they can't care for the children yeah, or the residents. Here. It's a big job. Yeah. And the residents, they range in age from five to uh, 21 or 22. Um, a lot of them uh, had polio, so they're survivors of polio, but they've had um, after effects which affect the movement and the use of their limbs. So a lot of them have to use crutches or a wheelchair to get around. There are some children with learning difficulties as well. There were two children who were abandoned at the home. <laughs> so they've been given names by the home, but we don't officially know how old they are or what their real names are. Wow. Um, one of those those children has profound autism mm. um, and another one has profound learning difficulties. Um, so you might say that, you know, when when a family doesn't have the resources to yeah. to to figure out what's going on, it, yeah. it might feel very, very overwhelming yeah. to have a child with that kind of special need. Yeah, and, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Obviously, there's no sort of welfare uh, system in place um, and as children get older they are often relied on in the poorer communities to go out and sell do they do petty trading to try and bring some income into the family mm. so any youngsters with disabilities aren't going to be able to do that so they're not going to be able to contribute to the family and also in terms of learning disabilities there's still a big big stigma here um, against those children right. um, they're, they're called crazy they're called devil children which um, is yeah it's yeah. it's another whole issue um, right. so so there's a lot of stigma there and so there's a lot of things that these parents are fighting against right. trying to care for their children yeah I think so, something that maybe a western 
audience doesn't really fully grasp, and I certainly don't fully grasp it, is that Sierra Leone, among many African nations, as well as a lot of the global south, is a high shame. Uh, so um, Western people tend to be, I mean, this is high genera- highly generalized, but tend to be um, more on the guilt side of things. And so um, you have to um, kind of prove your worth by working, mm-hmm. and, um, and that gets us into trouble and has good things as well. And then like much of the global South is really more shame. So it's a question of relationship and belonging. Yeah. And um, people fear difference for that reason. Yeah, they do for sure. Um, and these these children, they they just kind of want to get along. Uh, but one of the, the beautiful things about the Freetown Cheshire School is the inclusivity. You know, the other pupils in, who attend the school um, daily they work very hard to include their peers um they help them they help them with their wheelchairs they include them with their games um so it's not an issue for them as such they're as you might typically expect children to be they just make friends with whoever happens to be nearby or whoever they happen to like so so that that was really really beautiful to see yeah 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 that's amazing What's then your kind of impression of, I don't know what kind of answer I'm asking for, but I'm, I'm just wondering like what you've learned about, um, it, were you surprised by anything um, when it came to the kids there in, the, in their disability, but also the kids that, you would, that we would say are normally abled? Um, so if I talk about the children with the disabilities first, um, one of the things that's lacking for them is expert knowledge to come in and do interventions. Um, the one example I always come back to is a young girl called Jane. She's seven now, um, and she's got a diagnosis of cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. Um, but there aren't any experts or therapists here who can teach her how to walk or can teach her how to talk. Um, She is very, very bright. She knows exactly what's going on in the classroom. Um, She has her friends, but, but she always comes back to me and haunts me a little bit because it's a real life example of somebody who is locked in and without specialist intervention they won't ever reach their potential and she will probably end up trapped in a life of institutions all her life so 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 that sort of affects me deeply that you have children who can make progress but the biggest thing that's lacking for children with disabilities is um, people with the expertise to help them. Even if it's physiotherapy, even if it's speech therapy, even people to work with the autistic children, people do dip in and out. Um, there are lots of volunteers and or people who are here permanently trying to help, but their numbers are so low right. that they're just barely scratching the surface at the moment. Yeah, I, I think the numbers that I've heard is, is that there's less than 200 just regular doctors in Sierra. Leone. So the idea of a specialist, I mean, in many ways, it's like, no, we just need it. We just need a GP. We just need somebody yeah. to come in and, and, and yeah. help people get rid of their, uh, of malaria and, yeah. and handle all of those things. Yeah. So the idea of a specialist is, it, it feels almost like a, like a privilege that, yeah. um, that, that they just don't have the time or energy for. No, d- definitely. 
And I think if anybody did come out, you know, like I say, they'd be in such huge demand. Yeah, um, overwhelming. So, so if I was um, making a wish, I'd probably wish for, uh, you know, more specialists to come out and help those children with the disabilities. Because you can make a really big difference. For a lot of them, it doesn't take much. And obviously, when I was working with the staff in the school, I would try and give them the strategies that I knew. You know, sometimes they would work, but then it depends on changing the culture within a school as well, because the teachers would try to please and they might do something for a little while. But, um, you know, another key to progress with children with disabilities is consistency. Right. And I don't think they got that. Yeah, that's a challenge. I think also I've heard that poverty described as not so much a, um, a lack of material or a lack of money or a lack of whatever, but it's a lack of options. Um, yeah. and, and we certainly see that in a yeah. lot of different ways. Like yeah. there, there are children who, um, it, were they given the, the options, things would be better for them. Yeah. That was rough. I agree. Yeah, yeah, it is rough. It is rough. Um, and then in terms of the pupils who don't have disabilities, one of the things I learned is how much work they do at home. Um, you know, they'd quite often be late because they're sweeping at home or they're fetching water or they're doing other jobs. Quite often they might have a poor attention span because of their sleeping conditions at home. They probably haven't had a good night's sleep. They might have had breakfast if they're lucky and that breakfast might have been um, a sachet of milk powder or some pap. Um, so, So there are a lot of factors in place that sort of inhibit good learning to start with. Having said that, the children did enjoy coming to school. Um, they enjoyed hanging out with their friends. They they work hard and they want to please their teachers. Um, they have a lot of energy. Uh, they run around at break time um, and they help each other. And, you know, uh, on the whole, the vast majority of them do try hard in school. Yeah. 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 I think kids, I mean, kids are kids are kids anywhere. And so sometimes they're going to cut up and, and be a, l- yeah. a little half lazy or, yeah. or whatever. But I think, but, but I think also there's something about children who they, they want to grow. Yeah. You know, and yeah. there and and there's a lot of life to learn. Yeah. So what what would you say um, are the strengths and weaknesses of the education system here? Um, I think the strengths are the sense of community here. And I think one of the strengths, oddly, is also a bit of a weakness. The children here are encouraged to go home and study and relearn their lessons, which I think is great. And they're encouraged to study with their friends. And I think that's great because the children need to be going over what they've learned in class. But at the same time, I've witnessed too much reliance on teachers giving out the material and then, oh, that's okay. I don't need to go and explain this too much more because the children will go home and study it. And I think I mentioned before that there, you know, in my view, there would need to be more differentiation, more support of the children in class so that they can keep up with their peers. Yeah. Um, but I think that's probably down to training mm-hmm. as well. There's, there's a lot of 
fun in the classrooms, um, in particular in the the nursery and class one and two. Um, I was quite I was quite lucky in that my school setting um, is very unusual, I think, for Africa in that the classes were relatively small, so the teachers built up quite a personable relationship with the pupils. Mm -hmm. um, so so I, I think they genuinely cared about the pupils and the yeah. progress they were making. So yeah. that was definitely a strength for them. Yeah, I think relationships are just so foundationally important here. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that just comes very naturally, where in many ways we have to work to find mentors and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the the idea of them going home and memorizing, they th that's one thing about Sierra Leoneans, man. They are, they are good at memorizing stuff. They are good memorizers. Um, and like... <laughs> I'll be in the classroom um, up at the university and I'll say, and I'll, I'll make a reference to some Bible verse somewhere and then we'll be like, and then like the whole class will literally recite it, the whole verse, and then, and then tell me exactly where it was. Yeah, and I'm wow. just like, oh, okay, yeah. well, thanks very much. <laughs> I mean, they, they like have the Bible memorized in ways that I, you know, would and never, ever, there, ever. There, there is a huge benefit in lots of ways to that repetition you know, mm -hmm. if you're learning your times tables or if you're learning verb forms or spellings or uh, things like that, you know, uh, there is a focus on sort of learning and repeating. Um, but again, that can be a strength in some ways, but it can also be a weakness because um, there's a bit of a lack of critical thinking being taught to children. They, they are almost taught how to respond to any question. Um, what I would see in an ideal world is a, a little bit more of them giving their own opinions, um, justifying their opinions. Um, and I think culturally, that's just not the way the system here is set up. Right. So. And I think I, that goes back to also the community versus individual thing. Yeah. That um, like they, you know, we often really reward people for having new ideas and their own thoughts and that sort of thing. And early on, yeah. and one individual saying something different than the rest. Yeah. And here, they really reward people for, for or kind of um, conforming is not the right word, um, but but in many ways for uh, for for like moving in toward the group. Yeah. Right. So the group um, learns these things, and not yeah. necessarily the individual. So whatever maintains the group opinion or the group dynamic. Yeah. You know, if you're conforming a little bit, then yeah, yeah. that that is rewarded. I think. Yeah. In some ways, like both sides could probably move toward the middle and yeah, really sure. benefit. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell me about the life of a teacher. Um, they like m they don't make very much money, right? So and and also in terms of training and that sort of thing. So um, the teachers that I worked with were all trained um, and qualified. Um, they could study for three or four years um, at teacher training college, and they go out on placements and they get assessed in the same way that we do here. Um, so that we do in the UK. Mm. Um, but then how much they get paid depends on the school that they go to. In my school, we were what's known as a government-assisted school. So the government was supposed to assist with our funding. Um, three of the six teachers there were on the government pay scheme. 
all teachers aspire to get something called a PIN code, mm -hmm. which means that they can then be paid by the government and get on the government payment structure, which right. increases year by year. But the government only has a certain amount of these PIN codes that, that they're prepared to have teachers on. And there are some teachers who have since retired, but they still have a PIN code, so they're still being taught, um, they're still being paid. Wow. So there's kind of a whole strata of, um, there's a big, big gray area in terms of payment. Right. So in my school, um, we had three other teachers that were just paid by the director of the school, who okay. was a chap I was working for. Um, and unfortunately, they were paid below minimum wage. Right. Some of that is just because, like, every school is kind of squeaking to get by. Sure, sure. Financially um, speaking. And there were no resources really at that school. There was paper, there were chalkboards, and there was chalk. So my particular school there relied heavily on donations. Mm -hmm. um, part of the reason why I arrived with three suitcases was <laughs> because I was bringing some teacher books and just coloring pens and pencils and just yeah. basic stuff yeah. that, that I think a school ought to have. I brought a lot of that back with me as well yeah. when I went to the States and came back. Yeah. And there are times when I'm just like, I just need this one thing. Oh, I'll give you an example. Yeah. The printer. Oh, my gosh. Um, I, I have a really good relationship with the administrative assistant at the school. However, anytime I would come asking to print anything, they, everybody would look at me. At one point, I said, can, can you just print 10 pages? I just need 10 pages. And, and everybody in the room was like, 10 pages? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm just so used to being able to hit print. Yeah. Yeah. And things print. Yeah. But, you know, supplies and money are very scarce. Yeah. You've got to make sure that your printer works and that your ink is in the printer. And right. that nobody's watching when you hit print 10. Right. Um, <laughs> but, the, but the thing is, I think that's a huge cultural difference. Um, I think in the West, we are quite wasteful, very wasteful. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's another thing that's impressed me about Sierra Leoneans is their general resourcefulness, yeah. um, not just in a learning environment or an office environment, just um, in, their, in their day-to-day -day life, really. I think they're so used. <laughs> so we've got the cat here trying right. to chip in. This is becoming like a running theme in yeah. my podcast. This cat, like he doesn't actually, he's, I mean, he's friendly, but like he... Um, he's super friendly tonight, he, and I yeah. think he thinks my hand is dinner. Right. <laughs> so if he keeps coming around, we'll, we'll move him. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. So I, I think because um, people here are so used to having so little in every situation, Situation, there's a wartime phrase in the UK, you make do and mend. Right. So I, I think that's what they do yeah. a lot. It's Absolutely. a big, big deal for them to get something new. Right. So yeah, yeah, that can be a challenge. Yeah. And in some ways, I think that that's, a, that's again, like everything can be a good thing or a bad thing. Like in some yeah. ways, it's, I mean, you know, they say necessity is the mother of invention. And, and, and so they, they are very resourceful. Yeah. And they just make do. Yeah. And, they, and, and it's amazing. I'm, you know, I've watched a lot of people noodle through like think about you know some because they didn't have the resources for that thing so how are we going to have a workaround yeah but at the same time I think in many ways it also creates like a like a mindset of scarcity like true there is yeah. not enough and there never will be enough no right so no. I, I think in some ways it, it leads to a loss of hope yeah or expectation that things will ever be different yeah yeah I guess it does I hadn't really thought about 
about expectations, but yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it's challenging. Yeah. Um, you are here another year. You decided after your year, essentially, yeah. like, you did get paid by the school, but but in many ways you were a volunteer. Yeah, um, I'm, I've decided I can't officially call myself a volunteer because I was given a small salary, small by Western standards. It was okay by Sierra Leonean standards. Right. Um, but, you know, I, uh, I was self-funded quite a bit here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm hugely grateful for the opportunity to have done what I've done. Um, but just for me at this time, not sustainable. Right. Um, I loved being in a different country. I loved Freetown, even with its frustrations. Um, I love the weather here more than I do in the UK. Um, <laughs> And there are there were just a huge amount of opportunities that came my way. So um, I was lucky to be able to stay on for at least another year. Yeah, that's the plan at the moment. Right. I've signed a contract, so yeah. so I'm here now. So your like adventurous, we'll see where life takes me thing is still. Yeah, definitely. I um I never really thought I was one of those people. But I, I packed up my nest and most of my things are in a storage facility um, <laughs> in Camberley mm-hmm. in the UK. And I, uh, I just think I'm going to see where else in the world I'm going to end up. One of the other things that I've learned while living here is that you could be much more mobile in your career. You don't have to... You don't have to do your job in a place that's different to your home. You don't have to work nine to five. There are so many other jobs that I have never even thought about or knew existed. Right. So I think it's just been a hugely eye-opening experience in terms of what you can do right. to, you know, to have a meaningful job, make a difference to other people, and still get an income coming in so you can just keep going day by day really yeah um yeah it seems to it it seems to me like that uh scarcity mindset is not i mean obviously it's not just here right like so in some ways it's like you've you you're the world has been broken wide open for you sure um because so many of us just kind of live in this idea that 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 whatever my situation whatever the status quo it has to be that yeah sure um and i can't make any changes yeah but here you are just here i am taking big leaps I, th- I think maybe one day I'm going to go back to that lockup in Camberley and I'm going to open the door and I'm just going to go, what the hell is all this stuff in here? I don't need any of it. Oh, I might need that. Right. You know? <laughs> oh, there's a fridge. That'll probably come in handy. Right. But I kind of, you know, I obviously born and grew up in the UK. Um, and like you say, I think everything's just wide open at the moment. And it feels really exciting. It doesn't feel scary at the moment. Right. Um, well, that's some of your, like, yeah. you, t- you, t- you take your toe in and then, or yeah. maybe you take a big leap and you realize oh actually I'm there is something to catch me yeah on the other side and I think what's really helped is modern technology um you know the communication with my parents back home is so much more straightforward now um Mm -hmm. I've got my friends back home at the end of a whatsapp um and I go I've been home a couple of times now and I'll see them and give them a hug and then we'll just continue the conversation that we've already been having so so it doesn't feel so jarring to go back and forth um and you know my loved ones feel a lot closer yeah because you can talk to them much more easily now yeah I feel insanely grateful to have been called to be a missionary at this time in the world and not 30 years ago or 50 years ago yeah because I literally sang my nephew um, to sleep like an hour ago 
Um, yeah. Just because you can. So I just I just called him and we sang songs together. And then his mom said, "Okay, we're going to go to bed." Yeah. You know, and that's just such an amazing gift. Yeah, it is. It is. Even though my dad keeps complaining about the Wi-Fi, it's 2018. Right. You know, they should have Wi-Fi. And I've picked up this whole TIA, this is Africa, right. <laughs> which you try and explain. But I think unless you've spent some time here, you don't really right. get it. Right. Do you? Well, and I've, and I've chatted with, I mean, I have a friend who's relatively new here and didn't do a whole lot of training for before she came. And so, um, you know, she, she gets frustrated by things and I just laugh. <laughs> because yeah. you, you kind of just have to laugh like you don't really yeah. ever know what your day is gonna bring no. um like i'm dealing with my truck right now um i i just have a really great relationship with my can mechanic yeah. i never thought that was gonna happen yeah. because sometimes some days you just turn on your truck and it just doesn't turn on and it's yeah. like a nice new truck you just never know you know you never know what's gonna happen yeah i spend a lot of time waiting around but at the same time that's part of the adventure i think you so. just have to let go yeah um, yeah. and just take what comes next. Yeah. And part of the fear when I first got here is, oh my goodness, I'm going to be late or, oh my goodness, I'm not going to be able to do this in the same way that I'm used to doing it. But then everybody else sort of understands the challenges that are presented here. So everybody else turns up to a meeting an hour late and you, you sort of think, oh, okay, so this is how it's done. Right. It's still frustrating, you right. know? Right. <laughs> I've been known to deliberately start meetings only 10 minutes late, right. even though not everybody is there. <laughs> I do that in the so, States too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you be on I time for this meeting. You, you may be aware of it. It doesn't mean you have to like it. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in some ways, it's like they're, they are very inspiring and you kind of pick up their resilience because, sure. because in some ways you're living in the middle of it too. And so you have to. Um, and then other times it's like, yeah. I want to shake you. Yes, I do. <laughs> Come to work. Get a watch. <laughs> that works. <laughs> Anytime I'm late and worrying about it, I, you know, I have a driver at Novo and he just laughs at me yeah because most of the time what happens is i arrive 15 minutes late and yeah. th it hasn't started yet and you're the first one there right exactly yeah <laughs> yeah um okay so you're from the uk um yeah what was your impression of africa before you came and would you say that those impressions have been confirmed? I think so. In a lot of ways, um, I always imagined Africans to be friendly people, outgoing people, slightly crazy. I know that's probably a bad word to use, but in a very, very good way. They're very outgoing. Um, they say what's on their mind. Um, and, and I think that those impressions have definitely been borne out while being here. Yeah. Um, I, I would also think that some parts of Africa were dangerous. Um, and I know that other, other African countries are less safe than Sierra Leone. Um, right. I guess I was, uh, I've, I have an uncle who had done a lot of traveling in Zimbabwe up to about 25 years ago. So he used to come back with some stories. So I think I probably knew a little bit more about this whole make do, fix, repair, mend kind of mentality. But it's, right. still, it's still fun to see it in, in real life. 
but nothing prepares you for the onslaughts of your senses, the things you can smell, the things you can see, the things you hear. You know, it's the dial is turned up to 10, right. I think, is the best way to describe yeah. it yeah. all the time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, and, you know, you, you just kind of get used to it. And as a, as a primary school teacher as well, any primary school teacher will tell you the same thing. They have learned to tune out a lot of stuff. So you might be working with a small group or two children and there's kind of hubbub and noise going on in the background and you can just tune it all out. So yeah. I think that's been a good skill when it all comes, <laughs> when it all gets a bit much, I sit near the beach with a beer and <laughs> tune it all out. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, um, I have all the examples today. I, ha I was driving with a student in my car. We were going to the, my namesake's Pulinado naming ceremony and we were listening to music over the... <laughs> Just to give an example, we were listening to music in my car, and it was my music, and then my student in the back seat um, turned on his own music. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, it's not that big of a car. Like, like yeah. now, how are we supposed to listen to both at the same yeah. time? But that's part of it. And so I, I actually turned around, because it's my vehicle, so I attended, since it's my truck, yeah. I asked for what I want. Um, and so I said, hey, would you like to play that up here we can change the music yeah. we can listen to yours he was like oh no i'll just turn it off and my driver <laughs> explained it <laughs> he said she doesn't like chaos oh, okay like, but there's i think sierra leoneans are just used to i mean it it wouldn't necessarily even phase them it doesn't they don't even think about how there's two there's two things of loud music going on at one yeah. time yeah you know and i'm like ah there's so much noise <laughs> i i think i think they just kind of get used to doing what they want to do when they want to do yeah. and you know in the west we we, you know culturally we if we didn't like the music we'd just put up with it probably or ask ask politely would you mind turning that down please just right. a little bit right. or could we just skip that track please I think they'll just get on and do their own thing yeah which is charming yeah most and of the time yeah and they'll they'll also like it's funny because they'll just they'll just out with it they'll just say don't do that don't do that do not you know yeah. they'll tell you when they're frustrated yeah but then it doesn't phase them like they yeah. might I've seen I've seen people here um like get in like what felt like a fight yeah and then five minutes later they're just best friends they're best buddies again yeah it's awesome. yeah okay so what does it mean to be a part to you to be a part of the british commonwealth with like countries like Syria, can you explain the British Commonwealth? Because I will, I will just admit that I didn't know what it was before I moved here. Um, well, I, you know, it's not part of my cultural understanding. It's not part of my background. It's not something that we learnt much about in school or talked about. It's mm -hmm. again, it's a bit more conceptual. Right. We know that the the Brits went around and trampled over a load of countries and half the world. Um, and you know most people think that sucks and they behave terribly um, but for me being in the UK was never part of this commonwealth really right, I never sort of felt a connection with oh Australia or these African countries that was never sort of part of my sphere of living really so the commonwealth is kind of like a, a like the the name for the relationship that the UK has with former yeah, uh, yeah. Quote, the, the colonies, group, right? Yeah, the group yeah. of trampled upon countries. And yeah. I think that there's some support that goes along with that as well. Like the UK supports those countries. I'm sorry about my... No, that's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, 
so the UK supports the Commonwealth countries as well, but uh, also yeah, there's this do. kind of relationship. I think there's a more modern relationship now that has more give and take. Right. Um, That's good. And, you know, culturally, I think if you go to some of these countries other than the UK, you can see, obviously, where the British influences are. You can see a lot of colonial architecture mm -hmm. still here in yeah. Freetown. And everybody loves them. They think they're great. But, you know, in terms of my growing up and that being part of a, an identity for me, it wasn't really yeah. for me. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, one of the, the things that I, maybe I expected but also didn't, it has surprised me living here is how much um, kind of colonialism still informs or it's it's so much a part of the recent history yeah. that it's it's just still kind of a part of the everyday in yeah. some ways. Yeah. You know that has surprised me because because we we in the West don't necessarily, or at least I mean I think in America white folks in the West don't necessarily have to live with that. Yeah, no, they don't. I th I think you know people here will talk a lot about their history and they're very proud of that. Yeah. So yeah, and mm. I and I think in some ways like there's some people who really. I've, I've heard a mixed bag like super really grateful for what they've been given yeah um, and then I, I so I think it is actually kind of a um, in many ways it's like it requires nuance to talk about it yeah that's just part of what it means to live here yeah you are from Wales yes you're Welsh yes I am explain to those of us who are super ignorant <laughs> um, <laughs> what does it mean to you to be Welsh and um, like what makes you different than the rest of the UK okay so if anybody says oh you're English I say no I'm Welsh um, a lot of Americans think that I'm English or a lot of people in Freetown think that I'm English and it's obviously it's part of the British Isles, Wales, but it, it does feel like a separate country. I guess a comparison for Americans would be if you said to a Texan, oh, you're American. And they say, no, I'm Texan mm -hmm. because they kind of they know that there's something special about their state. There's something different about it. People yeah. from Texas are a little bit extra. They, you know, it is. They and have, that is especially true of Texans. Yeah. Yeah. Don't yeah. tell me. I, don't ask me if I'm from Oklahoma. No, no. I am not from Oklahoma. <laughs> I'm not from any other state. I'm not from... Actually, one person today said, oh, he's a Sierra Leonean, but he... Um, I think he's Sierra Leone dual citizen. And he said, we're from the same state. And I said, no, we're not. You're from Ohio. Don't okay. be telling people that I'm from <laughs> Ohio, because I am not. I mean, I love Ohio, Ohio people. Yeah. But I'm a Texan. But they're not Texans. Yeah. And I feel that. I, I mean, I feel that from you. Yeah. You're very proud. I'm, I'm very proud. Um, and when I was explaining Wales to Sierra Leoneans, I said, it's the same thing for you. If somebody said to you, oh, you're from Africa, you'd say, no, I'm from Sierra Leone. Right. We have a separate language that is spoken in large parts of the country. There are Welsh language schools. There are Welsh language TV programs, radio stations, wow. Welsh language bands. Wow. Our road signs are bilingual. So once you cross the bridge and you come into Wales, the road signs are in English and Welsh. The paperwork that you get, maybe from the doctors, the signs in the supermarkets are bilingual. Oh, my gosh. Um, That's so surprising to me. Like, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. And, you know... 
the Welsh language is a wordy language, so those signs are pretty big. <laughs> so you'd be driving down the road, and then where am I going? That's a lot of words on that sign to read. Right. Um, it seems like it must have been a very conscious decision. Like, we are keeping our language. Definitely. I think there was a fear that the language would die out when I was a child, but in the last sort of 20, 25 years also, there's been a definite maintained, concerted, well-funded effort to keep the Welsh language alive and to um, improve it and reinstate it again. Mm -hmm. um, and people are very proud of their Welsh-speaking abilities. Um, Can you speak some Welsh for us? Ah, uh, see now. I used to, because I've always taught in England and they're always equally fascinated. They see my little Welsh flag hanging mm -hmm. up and I've done many, many Welsh assemblies and I've shown the photo of me in my little Welsh costume on St. <laughs> David's Day which is super cute thank god you can't see that on a podcast I was gonna say can you but send it to me because I want to put it on the website <laughs> um I, I'll see what I can do but I used to teach my children a phrase and this phrase was Gary Vindir Tibach Oswellach and Dda I was going to try, but no, I don't think no. I can. Well, you can say Borada. Borada. That means good morning. Okay. And Prunhounda. Prunhounda. Means good afternoon. Okay. And Nosta. Nosta. Means good night. Okay. And if you're talking to a beloved one or somebody that you love, you might call them Kariad. Kariad. And okay. there's a special, special Welsh word called a kutch. <laughs> It's called a kutch, and it's like a cuddle, but it's extra. It's Aww. like providing a really safe space. There's a little expression that they say, anyone can cuddle, but only the Welsh can kutch. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, yeah, so I know, I know some bits and pieces and some phrases, but unfortunately, I, I never really studied hard. Um, mm. I have some friends who speak Welsh and mm. some family who speak Welsh as well. What was that long thing that you taught your students? Oh, what does it mean? <laughs> it actually means, it, it literally translates into, can I go and find the little house, please? Uh -huh. And it means, can I go to the toilet? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I, ju I just think it's a funny little phrase yeah. um, that I used to teach them. Um, That's and super they used fun. to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's super yeah. fun. I um, meant to ask you earlier, but then we moved on. Early on, you said that when you lived on the east side, you would go and just pop over and, and get yourself some food. Um, what was yeah. that food? Okay, so when I was at school, there was um, a lady who had a little food shack outside. So she would cook for all the Okada boys and mm -hmm. the mechanics there. So that would be a bowl of rice and some groundnut soup or some ponky, which is my favorite, which is pumpkin. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, ponky. And it's delicious. Or some crane crane or cassava leaf. So traditional African food. So I'd get the rice and the sauce and a, a whole big fresh fish on top. That's um, amazing. So and I'd, how much did that cost you? Uh, 50 pence. And so what like 5,000 leones. So 5,000 leones is 75 cents. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, amazing. So, and it was really tasty as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, I learned a new life skill. I can now eat an entire whole fish off the bone using just a spoon. So, <laughs> so that's you know, very good. A new life skill there. Yeah. Um, 
And then uh, the sandwiches. I, I need you yeah, to... they have um, they have the odd shawarma bar, which is like a, a wrap that's filled with chicken or meat. But actually, my favourite, if because when I had my lunches, I would quite often not have dinner because I was so full. But I would sometimes go up to the street grill. There was a little grill just at the top of the lane by my hotel, and and buy myself some goat. Mm-hmm. So I'd buy myself a little bread roll, um, and they put some mayonnaise on it for you. Then mm-hmm. I buy some goat, and I'd stick it in the bread roll, and then I'd go and get a cold beer. And um, I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was quite quite often a Friday night. Uh-huh. Um, that's great. So and you know I'm I'm a big fan of the street food. Thank goodness I've got a very strong stomach. <laughs> I've got a cast iron constitution. That's great for for uh, unusual food. So <laughs> I'm I'm up for trying anything, almost anything once. Yeah. So and I will do. I love it. So, I yeah. Love it. Okay, so I'm kind. Of, this is um, a thing that I've started doing for expats who are working here. That I'm calling um, missionary bloopers. Uh-huh. A friend. I know you're not a missionary. No. Um, <laughs> I don't imagine that you ever would thought somebody would call you a missionary. No. Um, but um, what I found is it's really amazing how easily you can um, do something culturally stupid. Yeah. Like that. That you just didn't really realize that. Okay. Uh, you realized later. Wow. Okay. That was dumb. Yeah. So. So I'm, I'm wondering if you have an example of a time, it doesn't have to be a big example, that you like messed up or did something dumb without realizing it. Um, I, I was looking at this question earlier and I was trying to think and I can't really think of anything. And I know that sounds, I don't know, not big headed, but oh, Laura, you're just so amazing. You haven't really made any cultural gaffes. Um, but I think what I did initially was... Um, my reactions to certain situations were sort of off. You know, I've already talked about how friendly people were, but it took me a little while to realize that they were just being friendly. So, you know, maybe I'd be walking down the street and they'd go, I'd hear a voice, hey, you, you, white woman. And this call would get louder and louder and I'm trying to ignore it. And they go, you white woman, you. And I'd finally turn around, you know, with a bit of a scowl, or what you want. Right. Are your shoelaces undone? Right. You know, uh, genuinely that happened. Or people would say, you, hey, white woman, you, mind your bag. You know, look after it. There's bad boys around. Right. So, oh, that's true. Like, people would be like, yeah. your bag's unzipped. Yeah. So, so I mean, to my knowledge, I don't know what people might be saying behind my bag. Right. But to my knowledge, I haven't made any huge cultural gaffes. I think maybe initially how I was responding to certain things. I think there's just a little bit of Western defensiveness initially, I right. think, which um, which hopefully is is broken down a lot more now. Yeah, yeah. I think sometimes it just takes a while to understand what yeah, different things sure, mean. Sure. And, yeah. and, you know, everybody wants to say hello. Everybody's curious. Everybody wants to touch the tattoo, um, mm. you know. <laughs> but, you yeah, you ju- you just get used to it, and yeah. I and I always feel it, it's it's a privilege to be here. I I always think this every time I get on a plane and fly anywhere. I'm so privileged to be able to afford to fly somewhere and to be able to go to a new place. So I do try and remember that. And actually, I'm in this country with these amazing people around me, and and they just want to know why. And and I and I owe it actually to to try and be part of that. And mm-hmm. and that's just, super beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you, friend, for coming on my podcast. 
Thank you're welcome. It wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be. See, it's just a conversation. It's <laughs> yeah. okay. Everybody yeah. who I invite on the podcast, it seems is like, Mah, I don't yeah. know about that. I've not done this before. <laughs> it's just a conversation. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I, I, oh, well, I've already said it, but I do find you super inspiring and I find myself learning from you. And really, oh. when it comes to photography and sometimes music now, okay. and, and, you know, doing something that I'm scared to do, I just think, what would Laura do? Oh. <laughs> Situation. <laughs> oh so, well thank you it's true thank you it's true so i'm super glad we're friends oh me too i know ne- i never thought i'd end up being friends with a missionary <laughs> <laughs> given you know if i'm going to be honest given my views on sort of religion in general but um yeah yeah here yeah. we are here we are and, we and are. doing this in many ways um like the same kind of work with the same kind of heart i think that's the thing that's helped me adjust my viewpoint is that you know the end result is the same you're helping people or trying your best to help people sometimes the motivation or the place it comes from is different mm-hmm. but if the end result is that you're helping someone then who really cares right yeah. and yeah we can come together yeah yeah sure. my th- the preacher in me wants to <laughs> wants to give you, you a quote. Okay. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> John Wesley says, um, who's the founder of the United Methodist Church, he says, um, you know, you we can we can have different thoughts about baptism, we can have different thoughts about this, we can have different thoughts about that. But if your heart is as my heart, then take my hand. Oh. And I just love that quote. I love that. Yes, beautiful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So anyway, thanks, friend. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay. So that was the conversation with Laura. You will be happy to know that we do in fact have photos of Laura's childhood Welsh costume. So you can head over to the website and find those photos there along with, I think, a description of what her brothers are wearing as well. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Grace and peace to you. Love to all of you friends.